Listener Production. Gay Christmas. Gay Christmas. And that was our Christmas pageant. Yeah, that was it for us. What are the odds that two failed drama school dropouts would make their time on stage like a high school talent show? (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought it, huh? (laughs) We surprised ourselves. Thank you for coming to this sold out show. Oh, do you want to, can you pause that while I talk? I'll do some talking. Oh my God. Let me tell you, I'm not drunk enough to do that dance. That's the curse of doing a dance is you need to be drunk to be brave to do it, but you can't be drunk if you want to remember the steps. (laughs) So it is a paradox that I don't think I'll ever beat. Yeah, you got to get right in that sweet spot, but that's why we get out here. I'm like, bring the booze, bring the booze. Um, So thanks for coming. We are going to do a couple of little stories for you tonight because um, we read the reviews and we know that some of you like me and some of you like Jacob. We know what you all say about my nasally voice and how I interrupt too much. Did you hear someone commented the other week on um, our Instagram, oh my goodness, I would love to go to the live shows, but I'm not sure my auditory processing disorder could uh, manage Rosie's voice in real life. (laughs) How very dare. First of all, what is that? And why do I set it off? (laughs) I love that she's basically got like a doctor's note for why she couldn't come. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Yes. By the way, this show's being recorded. Oh, yeah, you guys yes. will be on the potty. Uh-huh. <laughs> Make lots and lots of noise. Um, we're also recording the late show that we're doing this evening, but we're expecting that might be a little bit messy. Yeah. We um, had to add that show because the first two sold out. So that show's, like, almost sold out, but we were like, gosh, if they're waiting till 9.15, they're going to be pissed, maybe as pissed as us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Hey, so I don't know if you've noticed, but... Um, Okay, I'd like everyone to get their phones out. I'm not joking, get them out. I want a photo of this, I want it tagged. Me holding it up, smiling, like I'm Moira, back when she was on Burt Newton. Remember? Moira would hold up, do the product placement. Oh, okay. Like, I went straight to Shit's Creek, obviously. Oh, no, I, mean, like, well, no, I mean Channel 10 Moira, Moira, not, not Shit's Creek Moira. Right, yep. Okay, okay, everyone. Okay. Rosie sponsoring Bird in Hand Sparkling. 
I'm seeing a lot of phones. I better see just as many tags tonight. And while you've got them out, if you wouldn't mind just sending something along to Pure Blonde. I could do with an endorsement also. I tell you what, Beckjad Beckschmad. I will get <laughs> sponsored by Bird in Hand if it's the last fucking thing I do. <laughs> We're allowed to say the F word here, aren't we? We're not allowed in the studio. I don't know if you've noticed, but we always say F and effing mm. because SCA, like listener, has a rule that we're not allowed to do swears. Mm. And so I've in my real life started saying, oh, F that and effing this, like actually effing, and people go, what's wrong with you, Pollyanna? <laughs> say fuck. <laughs> what's your deal? Like I'm not, I've been trained out of it. We can say it here. Fuck. Hunchburger. <laughs> 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 no, they'll bleep that. They'll bleep that. <laughs> I love that. F is the only thing that, like, we're holding back on. Like, it's really not a family-friendly podcast <laughs> no, for the really. most part. So a lot of kids love it. Their kids listen, yeah. I know, because it's educational. It's mm. educational. Yeah. We're talking about the real world. We... Important uh, we stories. We the future children in our hands. <laughs> in our... Lick it up, hands. Um, so anyway, prospect. like I was saying, we know that some people prefer Jacob's Weeks and some people prefer mine. And we didn't want you to come to a live show and pay this money and be like, oh, it's Jacob. <laughs> or like, oh, it's Rosie. So tonight we'll each be telling a story. It'll be a little shorter than usual because mm -hmm. normally we go long. Mm -hmm. So we'll each give you a little... Yeah. Two stories for the price of one. Yeah. The gist of a gist with gist each one. Gist of a gist of a gist of a gist. But mm. first, shall we do some... Uh... Okay, who in here loves the breaking news song? And who in here is willing to admit to my face that you don't like it? Yeah, oh, hold on, where was that yep coming from? And it sounded like a male. Give us a wave. <laughs> where... This general direction, say it, who was, this fella. You don't like the breaking news song. Is it because um, I'm too nasally? Is it because of my, what's that thing people complain about female podcasters having? Um, vocal fry. Vocal, it's my vocal fry, isn't it? Okay, so everyone, we're gonna sing the breaking news song and I'd like you all to turn and face this gentleman. <laughs> On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Do, 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 do. Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop, I see X-ray, X-ray. Read all about it, I'm breaking news. Do, 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 do. Good stuff. All right, let me put my thing in here. Okay. <laughs> You're going to get sued for that one day. Oh, my God. You guys, you guys, you guys. I'm on top of TV, so I know about this, but regular people aren't. The Dropout, the first three episodes are on Disney Plus right now. I've already watched them. Has anyone else watched it? Yes, you. Yes, true fan. Okay, so it's the show about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, which is one of the OG Just the Gist topics. Mm. It's really good. Amanda Seyfried is amazing at it. Like, I was kind of like, she's too beautiful, but she pulls it off. Like, she embodies Elizabeth Holmes's weird sociopathicness. It's really good. Highly reco. Everyone watch. That's, that's that only bit of breaking news for that. Okay. My next bit of breaking news is I was listening to, um, do you guys know Tanya Hennessy? Yeah, okay, so my friend Tanya Hennessy, she's got this new podcast called um, 
uh, Hennessy's hotline and she was talking about something the other day. Hold on, I've got it. It's so hard holding a microphone and doing other things. Hold on, I've got to bring my photos up for this because I've taken some screenshots to read to you. Um, she was talking the other day about this guy who has this job called um, the Coffin Confessor. Have you guys heard about this guy? Yeah, okay. So he's got a book out. His name is Bill Edgar. So he's kind of doing the press rounds, which is why I think everybody's hearing about him at the moment. He has this book out called The Coffin Confessor. And basically his job is about 15 years ago, a friend of his was dying. And on his deathbed, Bill Edgar's friend said, like, I need to tell you this secret. Uh And after I'm dead, I need you to go and reveal this secret to... XYZ people. Uh-huh. So he basically gave Bill Edgar this task. And Do you Bill, know what the secret was? No, I don't know. Okay. There's more coming. Okay. Just, just, yep. Hold on. And so Bill Edgar did this for his friend and he did such a good job and then other people heard about it. So then I don't know why so many people in his life are dying, but <laughs> other people heard about it and they were like, I need that guy to come to my deathbed and I will ask him to do other tasks. And so over the last like 15, 20 years, his job has been a what he calls coffin confessor where he just like does this stuff for people. I'll read you. He did this interview, right? So... As the calls came in, the coffin confessor was born. He's been helping people ever since. He crashes funerals at the dead person's Mm -hmm. request. He um, attends viewings. He sweeps homes of secrets. He, like, gets rid of condoms out of bedrooms. Nothing's off limits, he says. He says the most common request he gets from people is, after I'm dead, can you go to the funeral home and prick me with a pin? Because he said so many people are afraid of getting, like, buried alive. Yeah. And they let him do that? Yeah, because they've asked him to. And then, okay, so (laughs) they... (laughs) Do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But he's not. People pay him to do this, right? And then, because honestly, what do you think? Like, the only time people get someone to take care of things after they're dead is, like, rich people have a lawyer who, you know, will do their will or whatever. Like, this is kind of a job that you're like, how does this not exist already, Mm. right? Because there are things you don't want to tell your family or things you want your family to know but not until you're out of the building, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what he does. So listen to this. Um, In his new book, The Coffin Confessor, we meet some of his former clients and get a sense of his unyielding loyalty in carrying out this final transaction. There's the gay bikey coming out of the closet from the coffin. The lovely old gentleman who needed a sex dungeon gotten rid of before his kids found it. (laughs) The part therapist, part part sex worker whose last wish was to shout a round of drinks to the men she'd taken care of. So he does any and all manner of these, like, cool tasks. Wow. And so I'm like, I I really want to read this book. Oh, it's going to be a fascinating book for sure. He's going to end up with so many competitors now. Yeah. So many folks are going to want to But I reckon there's so many people who would want to do it and they'd be like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. Give me the money and then just, like... They're dead. You don't, they're not going to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I think his thing is he's very loyal and he, like, absolutely, definitely does the th- whatever you ask. Like, there was one... He was um, saying in an interview that there was one guy who 
uh, found like the sort of uh, ceremonial parts of a religious funeral like quite um, hypocritical because he didn't believe in any of that stuff, but he knew his family would demand a super religious, mm. like strict ceremonial funeral. So he asked this guy to, can you go to my funeral and just stand up and start heckling at all the bits I wouldn't <laughs> like? And he did it. <laughs> Like, isn't that cool? Oh, I love that he gets and so much was, variety. Yeah, and there was like one other, he said one of the best one was um, this woman said to him, um, my family's awful and I know they're all going to be fighting over my will. I've organised it so that they get nothing. Can you go to the will reading and tell them in person that they get nothing? <laughs> and at first he was like, wow, this lady's a psycho. But then he went to the will reading and he met them all and they were awful and they were all just like gleefully talking about what they were going to get and he was like, oh, I get it, yeah. He was like, gather around, guys, I've got some news. <laughs> like, so that's, that's his whole job. So none I just, for you, Gretchen yeah, Wieners. None for you, Gretchen Wieners. So I heard about that on Tanya Hennessy's podcast and then I went and looked it up. He did like an interview on the project that you can watch and um, his name is Bill Edgar and his book is The Coffin Confessor. Mm-hmm. And I highly reco everyone yeah. reads it because it sounds amazing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next up, I wasn't going to do this one, but then Jacob told me a story the other day that literally made my soul leave my body. And then I was like, well, this kind of fits, so I'll, I'll tell it. So this has been going around on, I don't know if you've heard of it, TikTok. <laughs> uh, the kids with the Z are on it. Um, and... There's this viral TikTok going around of this guy who um, had been growing his dreadlocks out for 15 years and he was swimming in the ocean and he felt like, and these dreadlocks were just like a clump of disgusting, like, you know when you pull something out of a drain and it's that, that was basically on his head. Is this a white man? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, a white yeah, man because they dreadlocks. don't know how to look after their dreadlocks. A, mm. a black man would never. Like, mm. this guy is a seedy, definitely believes in QAnon, <laughs> white guy with dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. And so he felt something in his hair after he got out of the ocean. So he went to this salon and said to them, like, there's something in my hair. Oh. And so they were like, let's get this on TikTok. And he wouldn't let them cut. He was like, you're not cutting them. And they were like, well, can we wash them? He's like, can no. Burn them? I don't know why. Like, why can't? Anyway. And so they're looking through, looking through, looking through. And then they find, like, a lobster claw. <gasps> oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is on the TikTok. And they're like, and so, and he's like, oh, just keep looking. It's got to be something in there. And so they keep looking and then they find like a, they pull this like little lobster out, oh. but it turns out it was just like a plastic one that like fishermen uses like a... Oh, a lure. A lure, oh. a lure. But not that he knew. Like once they pulled out the claw, he was like, well, yeah, find the rest. I don't like, he didn't care. Oh. I know, which is gross. And so I was sort of like, this is a bit gross. I don't know if I want to do this at the live show. But then... Jacob, the other day, sent me a photo. He woke up in the morning and he sent me a photo of his bed. And I swear to God, it was like Jacob had got his first period. <laughs> Finally, welcome. Blossoming. Um, he, it, Jacob sent me a photo of his sheets. He's like, look at this. And they were just like covered like, I'm talking when you go stay at a friend's house and it comes in your friend's bed and you've got to go wake up their mum and it's really embarrassing. Like, the biggest period of your life always happens at the most inconvenient time. This is what Jacob's bed looked like. And I was like, what the fuck, Jake? Like, did you get a nosebleed? Like, what? 
tell everyone what it, it was. It really truly looked like a murder scene. I'd had a giant leech in my hair for God knows how long. In his hair! And there was blood all over the side of you my disgusting face. disgusting freak! Oh, I still don't feel clean. So obviously I was up on the central coast of New South Wales where there has been a lot of rain and flooding going on and the leeches are everywhere. Like you can't, the houses are surrounded by them and they keep breaching the perimeter as well. And so I don't know where it came from, but it was, it was quite a scene. I ruined all the bed linen. I've never seen a, a leech in real life in my life. You haven't lived. And you were walking around with one in your hair. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's really gross. And did you have to go to, because you were staying at your friend's house, yeah, did you have to, to go to your Mrs. friend's mum and so be sorry. like, I'm so sorry, I got my peas. <laughs> Look what I I've didn't done know to it your was sheets. Coming. I didn't bring a uh. pad. I didn't know it was coming. Oh, no. It's so embarrassing. Um, the last little bit I want to tell you is um, just something that gives me existential dread. Um, the teen, do you remember the show Teen Mom? People who are about our age, like, I tried to explain this to Caleb. Oh my God, speaking of Caleb, he had to stay home in Melbourne because he's keeping his eye on the petunias. <laughs> but Caleb's family's in the room right now. <laughs> because he's Adelaide's favorite son, or so he says. Adelaide's mummy and daddy and brother are here. Yay, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, yes, no, but he's home with the petunias. But um, he, I asked him the other day if he remembered the show Teen Mom, and he, of course, well, he's, he, even if he was the age, he wouldn't have watched it anyway. He would yeah. have been listening to Never seen an 2GB or whatever, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Teen Mom, did you know that the Teen Mom's babies are now teens? <laughs> no, thank you. I don't think so. No, 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 thank you. They're teens now. Now they can be the teen moms. And is that the plan? What is time? Probably. Is this the follow-up season? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. what is time? I don't even... What is time? Yeah. That's like how they say that, um, aren't they about to do that 90s show and it is just as far away for us now as that 70s show was for us? When that 70s show came out, I know, no, thank you! <laughs> Sunrise, sunset. The cats in the cradle in the silver You know what makes you feel better? What? dating a 22-year-old. Um, <laughs> except mine's actually 65, yeah. so that defeats the purpose. <laughs> and that was a breaking news! Do -do 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 -do. <sighs> Should we get into some stories? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story about eight nuns who went completely rogue in 1990. They sold their convent and used the money to go on a massive spending spree and then they <laughs> bought themselves a castle in the south of France and moved there. Yes! <laughs> Some of you might have heard just that bit of information when it was sort of doing the rounds on social media not that long ago. There is more to this story and it was really fun to investigate. So let's get into it after I... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have a sip of my pure blonde. Oh, my God. Oh. Ah! It's fine. More where that came from. Actually, Taylor, could I get an ice bucket, please? A single beer-sized ice bucket. Just for bucket. this one. Thank you. We forgot that. So, the story starts in Bruges in the late 1980s. Thank you, Taylor. It's um, on our rider. <laughs> single beer-sized only. Appreciate it. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Tay-Tay. So, 
She's wonderful. We adore her. Yep. Um, anyone been to Bruges in Belgium? Give us a woo. Yep. Gorgeous city in Belgium, very scenic, lots of very old buildings. And one of these very old, very valuable buildings was a convent. It had been built in the 1500s and naturally it was home to a group of nuns. These nuns were part of the Order of St. Clair, which is most commonly known as the Poor Clares. And yeah, the Poor Clares have to live a very poverty-stricken lifestyle. They are the OG nuns. The Poor Clares were the first ever Order of Nuns in all of Christianity. Is that like, so they basically, is this like literally spending all day on hard wooden boards on your knees? Praying, scrubbing floors, praying, scrubbing floors. Have some gruel. Yeah, that kind of lifestyle. Soupy gruel and then back, oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Not a whole lot of fun. They take these very, very serious vows and they have a super strict set of rules and it all comes down to living in poverty and chastity so they aren't allowed to have sex Mm -hmm. and obedience they've got to follow all these rules that of course have been made up by men why do the women because in catholicism the Mm. priests live in like opulent castle home wearing head-to-toe prada yeah Yeah. right they wear prada yes why do the nuns have to have nothing because gender dynamics Gender Like most of the stories we tell. I knew it. Yes. And so they're super isolated from the outside world. They rarely ever get to leave their convent at all. And one of their main rules is they are not allowed to own any property because they have to be so poor and they can only accept donations from the community. They're not allowed to work Mm. and they're never allowed to enjoy any sort of luxury. That's considered a sin. So it's not a super appealing lifestyle for most of us. Mm. And it's not surprising that throughout the 1900s, fewer and fewer women were choosing to put their hand up and say, I'd like to become a Paul Claire. Mm. And then enrolment really took a dip in the 60s and then the 70s when women were getting a bit more independence and a bit more equality in society. And then by the time the late 80s rolled around, they were at an all-time low of new nuns coming into the system. And so the church had to be really strategic about where they were going to place new nuns when they came on board, which was essentially deciding which convents were going to get new blood and survive into the future and which convents were going to be left to slowly die out. This is like the plot of Sister Act. the plot of Sister Act. I know. I feel like this has to have inspired it somehow. Maggie Smith was like in charge of this convent that wasn't doing well and then in came Whoopi and made them a choir and the Pope came and they were saved. Yes. And honestly, I believe that there is something in this for Sister Act 3. Yes. I really think they'll be able to use some of these plot points. a thing. It's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read the other day. Yeah, Yeah. it's going ahead on Disney. Anywho... Every convent relies, including Maggie Smith's convent, relies on having new nuns coming through so that they can take care of the older nuns as they age. And in Bruges, the mother superior there, Sister Anna, found out that the bishop had decided that her convent would not be receiving any new nuns. And when was this, the 80s? Uh, Yeah, mid to late 80s. Yeah. Um, So they'd pretty much just been marked as disposable. Your convent's going out of business. That's right. And she was pissed. Because there were only eight nuns left in her (gasps) convent. She was the youngest of all of them and she was already 61 (gasps) years old. The oldest in that convent was Sister Agnes. Bless her, she was 93 years old. Deaf, blind and couldn't walk. There's a character like that in Sister Act. Yeah, right? (laughs) Who needs Maggie Smith to feed her the sausage? (laughs) 
So much of this has to have yeah. inspired that, for sure. Um, so, yeah, Sister Anna was staring at the reality of what her life was going to be like, nursing these older women, and yeah. then there'd be no one to look after her when she got to that point in her life. So she felt like she'd been scammed. That, but you have been she scammed. She has been scammed. Because that's basically like we made you give up everything, you devote your life to us. Oh, mm-hmm. and by the way, when you hit old age... Good luck to you. We're yeah. not taking care of you. Exactly. Anymore. Yeah. Her only option was going to be to move to a different convent, but she really didn't want to do yeah. that. And she thought the treatment had been completely unfair. Like you say, she'd given everything up. Literally, she'd given all of her belongings to the church when she first enrolled. And anything that she'd inherited along the way from her family, she'd had to hand over to, to the church that's a as cult. well. That's They're a cult. not allowed to keep anything that's at like all. A cult. Oh. Okay. Oh, was that that was a cult getting mad at me? <laughs> that just happened. Religion plus time equals cult. Any Scientologist? No, cult plus time equals religion. Scared. <laughs> Don't say that word. Um, yeah, so she was not happy, and yeah. she decided she wasn't having it. She started investigating some other options for what she could do to salvage yeah. the rest of her life. And she started having some chats with a guy called Ronnie Crabb, who was the groundskeeper at the convent. He was a 35-year-old guy, had a bit of street smarts about him, and so she started asking him for some advice, like how might maybe someone go about selling some of the priceless antiques and yes. Renaissance artworks that are just lying around this big convent? And he was like, oh, I gotcha. I can help you out, don't you worry. Ronnie I helps. know a guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And he helped set up bank accounts for her and he yes. started giving her some good investment tips, told her to invest in racehorses, so she bought a couple of racehorses. <laughs> told her to invest in a farm, so she bought up a farm. Oh, my God. And let me guess, though, also, like, the priests just do not take any notice of them, so they're not even noticing that mm-hmm. she's... Yeah, they don't even think about no, the nuns no, in the no, convent. No. Yeah. They're rarely making visits yeah. out into okay. the regions. Yeah. Um, So this went on for about 18 months in secret, her selling off artworks and antiques and then investing the money. And while she was doing that, she was gradually planting the seed in the minds of all the other nuns that it was time to say goodbye to the convent. Bit by bit, she got them more and more fired up about how they'd been mistreated because they had dedicated their lives to this church, this system that all followed these miserable rules and lived the same boring routine every single day. And they've had to sort of shiver through these brutal winters in Bruges in this giant stone building that was just impossible to heat. So Mm. they deserved, it was kind of easy in the end to convince them, they deserved a really comfortable retirement in a sunny, warm place. So she managed to get them all on board with minimal effort. It was all for none, none for all. (laughs) Everyone was down with the plan. Thank you, thank you. I apologise to some of you who hated that. And Sister Anna told them, oh, look, I have found the perfect place. I'm going to put the deposit down now. And the place she'd chosen was this great big old castle in the south of France. (laughs) An actual castle. Yes, it was described by some as a dilapidated castle, but it's a castle nonetheless. She had sold, she'd sneakily sold enough stuff to buy a castle. To put down a deposit. 
Okay. Now okay. it was at the point where she needed to pay off the rest of that castle. And uh-huh. in order to do that, she was going to have to sell the entire convent. She knew there was a legal loophole that was going to make that possible because she was very clever and she'd done her research. Now, just to explain how she did this, I'm going to try to use some legal terms that I'm sure I do not understand. Trust me, I don't need or want corrections from any of you. It's just the gist. So the convent was set up as an independent non-profit and like any other non-profit, it has these bylaws that are controlled by the members Mm -hmm. and those members were the sisters and the sisters all just had to unanimously agree to change the bylaws and in this case they changed them to say that they were allowed to sell the convent and keep all the money for themselves (laughs) without permission from the Vatican. It was really pretty simple. So that's what they went ahead Mm -hmm. and did. And of course Ronnie was helping them every step of the way. He managed to help them get a seller's agent and put the what's it called convent on the market. See, not all men. Right. Things don't go so well for Ronnie, though, sadly. Um, Oh, no. They managed to find a very eager buyer, and then by the time the bishop even found out about this, the deal was done. This major property (laughs) development company had come along and said, yep, we'll take it, here's your money. It was the equivalent of four and a half million Australian dollars in today's money. Go, sister Anna! Told you it was a valuable building. It was actually worth a lot more. They got a bargain, but, Mm. like, they were keen to just sell quickly. Um, So the development company, they paid in full before the ink was even dry on the contract. The seven youngest nuns piled into the back of this giant tacky limousine with a full bar (laughs) in the back of it. And off they shot to the south of France with Sister Agnes following behind in an ambulance. (laughs) The greatest image. They took Agnes. Yes. No nun gets left behind. Oh, my God. I hope it was one of those pink Hummer limos. I I bet it was. Oh, chef's kiss. That's what I like to fantasise. Yes. So they got to their castle and they started making themselves at home and they started to enjoy freedom that they hadn't enjoyed for decades or for some of them freedom that they hadn't experienced ever in their lives. And I like to picture it being very much like what Britney's experiencing at the moment since her emancipation. Just post naked photos, guys. Just get it on with your sex idiot. Hang out at the beach. Oh, yes. I picture them just sunbaking topless in the backyard, guzzling rosé, perving on the pool boys, snorting cocaine off the pool boys. (laughs) Just doing lines all day. And Ronnie kept helping them as well with their money, so he helped them buy, in the end, a total of 11 racehorses. (gasps) He also helped them buy six luxury cars, and three of the ladies decided they wanted to get cute matching Mercedes. (laughs) Top of the line, the ones that had car phones in them and TVs in the oh back of the seat. Yeah, none of them could drive, by the way. <laughs> they were purely ornamental. They, the nuns were like, it's our money and it's what we want. Yeah. So Ronnie was like, it shall be yours, no problem. Um, and I wish that I could say that this is the end of the story and they all lived happily ever after in that castle, but there are men with egos yeah. in this story and so this is not where it ends. Why are men? But just hang on to that image for a moment of how happy they were to be completely free. Mm. And now I have to tell you that meanwhile, back in Belgium, of course, the bishop lawyered up with Vatican attorneys immediately and tried to pressure the government to void the sale completely. Luckily, that didn't work because there was no denying 
what they had done was legal. Yeah, they did they the hadn't legal actually loophole broken thing. A law. Yeah. yeah, they outsmarted you, dummy. Mm-hmm. That's what hurt the most. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so then he offered to buy the convent back for the price the developers had paid, and they were like, "No, thanks. We like it. We're going to keep it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then he said, all right, fine. Well, if we can't have the convent back, can we please just have all the priceless artefacts and heirlooms and artworks <laughs> from inside? And the new owners were sort of like, there's not really any artworks to speak of in here. You can come have a look and see if there's anything you want to take with you. Sure enough, <laughs> what was left that Sister Anna hadn't yet sold, the nuns had taken with them to decorate their new castle. Yes! yes. How is this not a movie? Well, I- we're going to get on that, oh, right? Okay. Yeah, we have to. Um, so, the church, everyone involved, all the way up to the Pope, they were very deeply triggered. And it wasn't just that they were angry about the valuable property they'd lost. They were also deeply embarrassed by mm. what was going on, especially because just before this happened, about 40 kilometres away from Bruges in a place called Newport, at another old Claire, poor Claire's sorry, convent, the Mother Superior had gone rogue and turned half of her convent into a luxury boutique hotel. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I love that there are just all these shitty, shitty men not <laughs> thinking that women are smart enough to do anything. And meanwhile, right under your yep. effing noses, uh-huh. F you guys. Yes! So, quick sidebar on how this happened. So, the mother superior involved, her name was Sister Maria. She was having the same problem as Sister Anna. She only had three nuns left in her convent and she knew she wasn't going to be getting any more and so she decided to do what she had to do. She put herself first. Mm. She got really proactive. Get it, girl. And she started setting herself up for a comfortable retirement. So in the mid-1980s, she started making and selling um, communion wafers. Ah, cannibal crackers for... Entrepreneurial. Yep. And she kept all the money rather than giving it to the church. And then she started doing, like, special appearances at events and functions, like... Like just... Like a kid's party party clown, but enough. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, I don't know, emceeing weddings or something. I don't know. I don't know. That's smart, though. Right? And she was making decent coins. She made enough money to buy herself this cute little sports car. And then she (laughs) developed a taste for um, expensive cigars. So, like, she was living it up. And then... Eventually, the church found out the sort of lifestyle Mm. she was living and they were like, oh, no, this will not do. You're demoted. And she was like, no. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm staying. I'm I'm the mother superior. And they were like, no, you have to go. You're fired and we're getting rid of you. You have to leave. And she was like, no, absolutely not. I'm staying. She refused to leave. And then shortly after that, she inherited $400,000 from her uncle when he died. And she decided that she was going to buy half the convent and turn it into a hotel. And that was possible thanks to bylaws because she was able to essentially sell half the convent to herself. Yes. Yes. Had a quick reno done, put in a pool, put in a gym. Every bathroom got pink marble tiles. And she started charging the equivalent of $400 a night for each of the rooms. Love it. So the Sister Maria Hotel debacle had already got a bit of media attention around the world. The church was already pretty humiliated. And then when the media caught wind of the poor Claire's in Bruges selling their convent, the world suddenly became very interested in Belgian nuns. The Catholic men could not handle this. Oh, they were not The embarrassment, yeah, the yeah, yeah. egos. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, the spotlight was on mm-hmm. Belgian nuns and what are they going to do next? And it was women that <laughs> outsmarted us? 
Oh, women? Yeah. Must have been possessed by a male demon, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, must have been. The newspapers loved this story because the headlines wrote themselves and some of my favourites were Runaways, Try Nunaways. <laughs> yes. And these Roman Catholics are Roman South. <laughs> and actually, it's none of your business. <laughs> Yours, though. <laughs> all for none, all none for none, all. none for all. <laughs> um, so, of course, the church did have to address the media and they tried to save face as best they could, which was kind of difficult. The bishop's statement said he just had no idea what could have possessed these women to make this decision and throw away their careers like this. Um, and he kept saying, all we care about is the nuns' well-being. We don't care about the property Please. at all. We just really want them to come back home to Belgium where they can be safe under our protection. Oh, yeah, right. Drinking Very sinister. soup, mm-hmm. kneeling on the wood. Um, and the nuns, of course, were like, you don't care about us at all. These are yeah. lies, lies, Liza Minnelli, lies. Yeah. Completely, yeah. yeah. Um, it wouldn't have looked good for the church to sort of paint the nuns as villains, yeah. though. So they came up with a different strategy so that they could be painted as the victims and started to suggest just lightly that maybe Ronnie was actually a bad guy and that the nuns Ronnie. had been his innocent marks, all except for Sister Anna. They were very clear she was to be excommunicated. She yeah. made her own decisions. All of the rest of them had been taken you know advantage what? of. I bet she had her period. <laughs> no, but right, you know what drives me crazy about that is that to them, sure they're trying to save face, but I'm sure there are some priests who actually thought there is no way the women could have come up with this. It had to have been this man. Mm-hmm. The gardener, he's a man, must have been him. Mm-hmm. Had to have been the man yep. who outsmarted us. Couldn't have been the ladies, yeah. yeah. Um, so... They started telling the media they suspected that Ronnie had conned, tricked, swindled the nuns. And so some investigators went to talk to the ladies down in the south of France. So a judge went, some cops went, and a journalist went. And what they found, really not surprising. The girls were having a great time. They were fully aware of the choices they'd made. They felt that they were completely justified in what they'd done. They had no regrets and no, they hadn't been tricked. No, they hadn't been swindled. So... Mm. Done. And also, by the way, when they were there, they saw that Sister Anna, not too concerned about being excommunicated from a church, that she'd already left. She wasn't crying too hard into her rosé. So the nuns had taken full responsibility Uh of what they'd done. Oh, oh, oh. They'd taken full responsibility and what they'd done wasn't illegal. So at this point, the church, the bishop, the pope, they all had the opportunity to do the thing that they preach, the Christian thing, mm. forgive. And just leave them be. Turn the other cheek, right? But apparently when the Pope asked himself, what would Jesus do? The answer he got was, seek vengeance <laughs> through the legal system. Scorched earth. <laughs> because the Vatican legal team went after Ronnie viciously. And also because the Vatican, when it comes to charging people within their own ranks, really should be going after these nuns who mm, sold some artworks yeah. and not, you know, the pedophiles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said it, allegedly. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's where they should be focusing their efforts. Yeah, it makes sense to me too, yeah. Um, but no, they went after Ronnie. They accused him of forgery, Ronnie. theft, extortion, fraud, and also physically abusing one of the sisters. No. Completely untrue, totally trumped up. They put all this pressure on the police and the police arrested him and he spent 39 days in jail before he was able to be released on bail. While he was in jail, the church was running this smear campaign about him saying he's a really dangerous con man. The only reason the nuns won't admit that he schemed them was that they're scared of him because he's this really dangerous guy. And then Ronnie's trials began Mm. and because of that, the nuns' accounts had to be frozen. So they didn't have any access to any of their cash and they had no idea when or even if they were going to get access to their cash. So the trial was sort of dragging on and on and on and it reached a point where they were like, we really don't have a choice. We're going to have to sell our castle. No! in order to get money to live. And so they only got to spend about 12 months in their dream home in total before they had to downsize and they ended up moving back to Belgium because that was going to be easiest. Other family members would be able to help take care of them. Sad that that's the way it ended, but that is the truth. Um, Ronnie's charges led to three very lengthy court trials which took more than five years to resolve. But he did Right? He was finally acquitted in 1996 of all charges. And by then, almost all of the nuns, one by one, had been lured back into the church and were back under control of the bishop. I, well, I mean, know. they have nowhere else to go. Where You know, yeah. when you're that age and you've been in it, they all join when they're like 16 yeah. and you're now like 80. Oh, I'm sure it was scary for them to yeah. go and live this secular life. And, you know, the 90s were a crazy time as well. And so none of them stood up for Ronnie? Were they all just under the church's thumb? This was the thing. He, when he finally was acquitted, he was able to talk to the media quite freely. And obviously he was very scathing when he was talking about the church. He also was really scathing talking about the nuns because he was like, they let me take the fall. Like they did not do much to come to my defence at all. Yeah, it seems like they were facing a lot of pressure. Um, But still, he just let rip when he came out. Yeah, he was like... This person, I'm suing. I'm suing this person. I'm suing this person. By the way, guess who had to pay his legal fees? No, them. The nuns. No. The Catholic Church was the one who trumped up all those charges against him, but then it was the nuns who ended up having to pay the legal bill. As like a penance, a punishment. Mm -hmm. Get fucked. Um, yeah, anyway, he announced that he was going to be writing a book. Yeah, and good. And that he would be selling the rights to the story to make a movie. I don't know where that project is sitting, but I really want someone to make it happen. And I want to see Bette Midler as Sister Anna. And Whoopi. Oh, yeah, get Bring Whoopi Bring back Whoopi. Yeah. But did he ever write the book? No, oh, no. Okay. He seems to have essentially disappeared. And it does seem a little bit suspicious to me. So he also, never said anything else? He didn't go down in any blaze of glory? He was just like, well, I might write a book, bye. Well, the final thing that he said was, by the way, they're all lesbians. She's <laughs> sleeping with her. She's sleeping with her. These two are exes. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> and everyone was sort of like, um, we sort of assumed. Probably true. <laughs> Yeah, so we don't hear any more from him. He'd be in his mid-60s by now. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, if he was 30 years younger. So is, if Anna was still alive, she'd, she'd be, be 93. in the 90s. Yeah. 93. She could still be out there somewhere. Haven't been able to find her. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope she still thinks fondly of her 12 months living in a castle oh, with her girls. Living it up. Yeah. 
Oh, sunbathing topless doing lines off the pool boy. Yeah. Heaven. Just picture it again for a moment, everyone. Yeah, that's nice. So that was just the gist of the nuns who went on the run. That was good. I want the movie. <laughs> I can't believe there hasn't been a movie. I know. Such a missed opportunity, but maybe we'll get onto that one day. We've got a whole list of movies we're writing. Yes, yeah, I mean, Sister Act was kind of like the whole first section of that, mm-hmm. except then that was kind of like the adult version of Sister Act. They didn't make a choir, they just bought a castle and I'm assuming got pissed every day. <laughs> Rosés and rosaries, that, that's what we could I'd call it. i still watch that, yeah. Oh, that was good, that was thank excellent. You, thank you. Yeah, that was good, 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 okay. That was very good. My turn! Okay, here we go. <coughs> the year is 2009. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Special year for you. Someone just went, ooh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, we'd only just recovered from those fabric belts from Supre. <laughs> we'd moved into those chunky side fringes that we hairsprayed down and took selfies of with our Sony Cybershot cameras, put on MySpace. And um, the Beyonce quiff. Yeah, the Beyonce quiff. That was big at the time Did as you, well. Do you know what a bump it is? Oh, of course yeah, I do. Yeah, you hair, like, thing under your height, hair. Volume, volume. Height, volume. Mm. Like, predominantly used by Karens now, but back then, all of us. <laughs> Avatar, the movie we all saw but don't remember a thing about was in cinemas. <laughs> The poetic lyrics of Lady Gaga had just started hitting the radio, like, my, my, my poker face, my, my poker face. And my personal favorite, let's have some fun. This beat is sick. I want to take a ride on your disco stick. (laughs) 2009 was also the year that for one tense day, we all got caught up in the drama of a little boy floating into space in a giant balloon. I am giving you just the gist of the balloon boy. Here we go. Strap in, mofos. October 15, 2009, the Heen family in Colorado, USA, are filming a test of this giant helium balloon that they've been building in their backyard as kind of like a family project. The Heen family is made up of... <laughs> I, I don't know, yeah. Sounds fun. My parents were drug addicts, so it's way <laughs> above my head. Um, this is not a normal thing for families to do, oh, though. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> the Heen family is made up of Dad Richard, Mum Mayumi, and three sons, Falcon, who was six, Rio, who was eight, and Bradford, who was ten. Now, the dad, Richard, fancied himself a bit of an inventor. So, mm-hmm. like, he's always, like, patenting, patent, patenting crazy things. And um, this giant balloon was a prototype of something he'd been working on that I guess is what today is what drones are. Like, in his mind, he was building mm-hmm. towards a drone. And this balloon was, like, his first kind of prototype of it. So it had a basket down the bottom that is kind of the size of this table here and then um, the balloon on top of it was about like the size of a trampoline with the net around it like 
kids have today because they're wusses. Um, <laughs> and, and the whole thing, like the balloon itself was kind of made out of tarpaulin stuck together with duct tape and then the entire thing was covered in aluminium foil. So it looked like a kind of, like a giant flying saucer. Uh-huh. And um, that's what the family had been doing like for lols, I guess, fun. Um, they filled it with helium that they got, you know, like that you just get from, you can get it from like Big W today to fill up party balloons or whatever, but just mm. like a, a lot more, than, like a lot more than that. Uh-huh. A, a lot of helium went in to fill up this thing. Uh-huh. And so the family's in the backyard, they're really excited, they're filming this experiment, it's the first time they've tried filling this thing up with helium and they're gonna see like if it floats. And it does, mm. it starts floating, it rises up, but then it just keeps rising and rising and floats away. And that's when Richard realises that someone, cough him, forgot to tether down the balloon, forgot uh, there's a rope and he forgot to tie it uh, down. So this thing starts like floating away up into the sky and they're all screaming like, oh no, because they've been working really hard on it. They and can't like, like how steer do... it with a remote control? No, because it's, no? it's, 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 not, it's not like a drone. It is like his prototype. It is just a balloon with a basket. There's no what steering. What invention. Yeah. Wow. And so they're all screaming, trying to get this thing back because they work really hard on it and that's like a lot of foil, I guess. Um, and then while Mayumi and Richard are freaking out about how to like, get this thing back, Rio says, um, hey, guys, um, falcons in the basket. <laughs> and they were like, what? And Rio and Bradford go, yeah, um, before you started putting the helium in, like, we thought it would be really funny and he climbed and hid in the basket. He's in the basket. And so then Richard and Mayumi freak out. He immediately calls 911 and you can listen to the recording. It's this bizarre call where he's, like, trying to explain to this woman, like, um, I built this balloon. It's, like, out of... Tap Hollands and it's covered in foil and we filled it with helium and there's a basket and my son's in the basket and my son's floating away in a balloon and this woman's like, your son is floating away in a balloon and he's like, yes, it is literally really well built and it is floating away and you can hear Mayumi screaming in the background like, ah! And so um, once the 911 woman realises, like, okay, this is... It's not just, like, a kid holding a balloon on a string who's, fl- like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's... it's Something's happened here. Um, they are like, okay, we need to get rescue crews on this. And because all journalists have, like, um, you know... I don't know, I see it on TV. Call radio, They're like, police. They've got... They have police scanners. Mm-hmm. They're connected to the wire. Um, and so, the, the, like, journalists, local journalists hear this call and they're like, ding, 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 like, a six-year-old kid could plummet to his death. Let's get out there. <laughs> so, literally, news choppers fly around, find this balloon straight away. So, there's, it's on TV within minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's already all around everywhere. And it goes viral, like, not just, in the U- not just in Colorado, not just in the US, but across the world immediately. Like, I remember watching it in real time in Australia, like, watching the news and being like, there is a giant balloon up in the sky and there's a six-year-old boy in it and he could plummet to his death at any moment. Like, good best TV. TV ever. Good yeah, TV. Because it's real. <laughs> it's real. You can't, like, create ratings oh, like no. that, man. You can't create drama like that. Not even the maths producer could do that. <laughs> like, that's tough. Um, 
And so this thing, it was high in the air. Like, I'm not talking like, you know, the ceiling here. This thing at its highest reached heights of over 2,000 metres. Like, that's two kilometres in the... That's in space. That's space. That's freezing, right? And there's yeah. no oxygen. What do they call it in um, cats? The, uh, the, uh, the Stratus? Oh. Yeah, the heavy side layer. Yeah, you nerd. Um, <laughs> that is space. And, so, and, and also, um, while it's going, it goes, it travels like almost 80 kilometres the whole time. So it's going fast and it's high, oh. this thing. Um, so the rescue squads were on it, but like there's not really a lot they can do because you can't put any other aircraft over near it because it's so f it's made of foil and tarpaulins. <laughs> you can't like shoot it. You don't. So all that was happening was the news cameras were following it. Rescue crews were kind of just driving along, watching it. Like maybe we'll catch him. Like I, like there wasn't really any plan. Like just wait for it to come down. Hopefully before he gets sucked into space and his face explodes like Arnold Schwarzenegger oh. in that movie. So. <laughs> It's like the weirdest thing to think that we were all, like literally people were glued to their screens. It kind of took over every channel. And it's like, what are you watching? And it's like, oh my God, I'm just waiting to see if this small child plummets to his death. <laughs> like this is what everyone was it. watching. I can't no, miss no it. No, no one wanted to miss it. <laughs> so the balloon in the end is in the air for almost two hours. And like I said, travels um, 80 kilometers in that time. It ends up kind of floating down, I guess when helium farts out, yeah. I don't know, like <laughs> it exits the balloon. It started floating down. I mean, it lands in kind of this desolate desert area, which reminded me a lot of, um, because there's so many like news choppers and, and um, rescue vans and there's like a thousand people there. And it, but it's like this empty, desolate space. And so it reminded me of that last scene in Thelma and Louise when they're in the desert, uh, but there's like yeah. a thousand police cars <laughs> yeah. there. So the, it kind of floats down and this man from the rescue team runs over and grabs the rope that the dad, Richard, was meant to tie down, but he didn't. Um, and so he grabs onto it and then more men run over, they grab onto the rope and the balloon kind of just gently bloops on the ground. Uh -huh. And um, and like the news like voiceover guy's like, okay, okay, that was a pretty soft landing. So we're, we're assuming that he's, he's fine because he couldn't have been injured. There hopefully no bad injuries, like he's fine. He's in mm. there, that was a soft landing. This is the best we could have hoped for. And so all these men run over and they rip the foil off and they open the basket and it's empty. <laughs> Falcon's Aww. not in the basket. And then someone in the media reports that like when the balloon was really high up in the air and they couldn't get a good visual, they could see like a shadow in their footage and so no. they think something fell no. out of the balloon. And so then the news starts reporting like, okay, we're not, this isn't a rescue operation anymore, we're looking for a body. And so then they start going, okay, from point A to point B, it's 80 kilometres, we need to start looking this kid has fallen out of this thing. And so the media back at the Heen house are going nuts because they've had media there the whole time, like cameras on the family. And um, the sheriff's there and they're like demanding answers from him and they're like, oh my God, we think he's fallen out. This is awful. This is the worst possible scenario. And then all of a sudden the sheriff gets a call and he turns to all the news cameras and he gives a thumbs up and he says, we found him. He's in the house. <laughs> and he goes over to the cameras and he says, apparently the boy's been in there the whole time. He's been hiding in a cardboard box in the attic above the garage. 
And then he says, I don't want to conjecture, but this is not the first time we're searching for a kid. And once he realizes everyone is looking for him, he hides because he's afraid of getting in trouble. <laughs> so everyone is thrilled because honestly, 10 minutes ago, they thought this kid had died. And now they're like, thank God. Yeah. We found him, mm. he was in the house. Like, what a happy ending, what a cheeky little kid. But still, he's alive. This whole search and rescue operation at the end of the day cost $2 million. Oh. But this kid is alive. So best possible scenario, he was safe, thank God. Everyone across the world wants to talk to this family after yeah. this. Um, and so the next day, the whole family sit down for an interview with CNN. And um, this is the infamous interview that a lot of people have watched and um, this is the interview that a lot of people know this story from. Mm. So um, they're asking Falcon, like, what were you doing up in the attic the whole time? And he said, well, um, you know, I, I went up there and I was playing with some toys and then I took a nap <laughs> and then when I got bored, I just came out. And, and the news anchor says to him, but, you know, did you hear anyone, like, calling out for you because everyone was looking for you? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard people calling my name. And his mum turns to him and she's like, you heard people, sweetie? Like, oh, why didn't you say anything? Mm -hmm. And then Falcon looks really confused and he turns to his mum and he said, well, um, because you guys said that we were doing this for a show. <gasps> oh! Oh, the parents are record the scratch. Oh, so, this felt fishy. Yeah, this. So yeah. Richard and Mayumi look like deers in the headlights when he says this. They're like, and the two other brothers were like, <gasps> like they knew that he, mm. like he, he, that he wasn't meant to say whatever he just said. <laughs> and so the interviewer presses, and he's like, wait, wait, what do you mean doing it for a show? What does that mean? And his dad's like, oh, he doesn't know what he means. He, oh, he's a kid. He doesn't know. And so at that moment, the whole world was like, oh my fucking God, you guys staged oh, this. Anything for attention. Yeah, and the fallout happens fast. Like, they were loved for about 24 hours, but life like, moves pretty fucking quickly when people think there's going to get some short and fraud out of you. So, like, mm. they were like, get them. <laughs> so the media digs into the Heen family, and it turns out that Richard and Mayumi are... Failed actors who met at drama school. <laughs> how pathetic. Don't see how that's oh, relevant. To what go losers. to such lengths for attention. Let it go. What losers. Can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> who had met at drama school. <laughs> they had been on the reality show Wife Swap twice. <laughs> and after that, Richard had spent some time as a salesman for a Segway company. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. They were on Wife Swap twice. They were on Wife Swap twice and... <laughs> every time I think it will be funny and every time it just ends up disruptive. Are you readjusting your balls? Do you need a moment? <coughs> Do they just come up out of your mouth? I don't understand how all that works, so I don't... 
Okay. Keep going, keep We're going. We're good to move going. on. You know this is going to take Attention a while. Attention seekers, us. <laughs> <laughs> and wipes up twice. And for the last six months before this incident, Richard had been shopping around a reality show kind of like about their kooky family and like their fun science experiments that they do together and they hadn't been getting any interest. And so with that history, it didn't take long for everyone in the world to be like, when Falcon said you did this for a show, it's because you two, Richard and Mayumi, set this up as a publicity stunt to try and get interest in selling a reality show. <laughs> and um, I think they would have got it. They almost because did. Because these three kids, the three boys, were so cute. Mm. Richard was kind of a weirdo and they did all these experiments. It, like, they, if Falcon hadn't, you know, if not for that pesky kid, mm. they would have got a reality show, yeah. I think. But, like, with all this in hindsight, you look back at the footage they were filming that day of the balloon and you realise, like, how bad the acting is. Like, the kids are like, oh, no, Falcon's in the basket. And Richard's like, what? And he's like, I've got to call 911. And Mayumi's like, my son, my son. And, like, you just watch it in a whole different light when you know this. Um... So there was an investigation and uh, the sheriff in town announced soon that, yes, they had decided after investigating that they think the whole thing was a publicity stunt. Both Richard and Mayumi were interviewed and charged and in that interview, Mayumi admitted that um, she knew all along that Falcon was hiding in the attic. Um, she also said that they'd planned the hoax about two weeks earlier and um, they instructed their three children to lie to the authorities and whoever asked them about it, which is really horrible because mm. um, most people have seen the CNN interview where Falcon says the thing about the show, but what they don't realise is the family at first didn't realise how badly that had landed, so they did a bunch of interviews after that one that day, mm. and um, a few interviewers said to Falcon, like, what did you mean when you said that thing about the show? And he threw up. Oh. Because Aww. he was so nervous because he knew he'd screwed up and he, you know, like, the pressure on a little kid. Yeah. That's no. not fair they did that to them. So Mayumi admitted we told the kids they had to lie and um, it was all, like, to market themselves for, you know, media TV opportunities. Um, but Mayumi also later said that she was a Japanese resident, she was married to Richard, but she wasn't yet an American resident, mm. and she said she that was all lies. She only admitted it because they threatened her with deportation. So she, like, took back her admission. Okay. But mm, mm -hmm. anyway... Um, um, Richard and Mayumi both pled guilty, which again, later, they both said because they were worried Mayumi would get deported, but mm -hmm. the authorities said that we were never going to do that, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Richard got 90 days in jail, 100 days community service. He had to pay $36,000 in restitution, which, like, it cost, it cost $2 million, two million. Oh, whatever. Mm. Um, and he had to write an apology letter to all the agencies that searched for Falcon that day. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, most devastatingly, though, the two wife swap episodes they were in were never aired again. <laughs> now, there was a lot of attention on the family over the years, um, but they kind of did just uh, not do any interviews until... 
Richard started suddenly doing a lot of interviews in the media and he was saying, you know, I only pleaded guilty because I had to, I did it for my wife, this wasn't a hoax, it was a genuine accident, we really thought he was in there. Oh, and by the way, while I've got all these cameras here, my three sons have formed the world's youngest heavy metal band and you can book them at this website. <laughs> so he kind of just started marketing for his kids and they, they did form what they say is the world's youngest heavy metal band. Uh-huh. It's called Heen Boys, Boys with a Z. (laughs) You can still go to their uh, website right now if you Google it. Um, And they have a video clip on YouTube where they're like singing and head thrashing in front of this really dodgy green screen that has images of the big silver balloon on it. (laughs) And the song is called... No hoax. Oh, so they're trying to keep the lie alive. I guess. They're now like uh, Falcon, I think is about 19 and the other two are about 22, 24. Uh And yeah, you can, if if you would like the world's youngest heavy metal band to play No Hoax at your next birthday party or bar mitzvah. <laughs> Look into it. You can book them online and that is just the gist of the Balloon Boy. And Love that is that. just the gist of our show. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Adelaide. We love you. We can't wait to come back. Jacob's got to give his balls a breather yeah. before we do the next show. So thank you so much. We'll be back again. We've decided we're going to do a different dance every year and mm-hmm. I want next year to be Strictly Ballroom. So there'll always be something new to see. Get ready for that. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank Listener.